Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from ESPN.com, Stephen Holder, he joins us. Um, we've kind of been all over the map this season. And we heard a couple of weeks ago, actually it was taped prior to that Minnesota game, that Jim Mersey, um said that Chris Ballard would be back next season for sure. I happen to sit here right now and believe that thought process has changed. And when somebody asked me, Stephen, a little bit earlier, who I would feel would be back over the other if he had to choose one, I can't imagine bringing Jeff Saturday back but I can see him right now sitting here talking to you being back before now I can see Chris Ballard returning for a seventh season here as general manager of the Colts. Would you agree? James, I cannot hear him. Is he there? I'm here. Sorry. Sorry. No, I'm sorry, Stephen. Go ahead. Did you hear my, hopefully you heard my question, right? I did. I did. I did. I was muted because I'm a moron. Uh, So, all right. I don't think I'm prepared to say that just yet about Ballard. And, and it has nothing to do with whether I, I, you know, the, what, what I think of the job he's done. It's not about that. It's more about, right. I, I, I think for whatever reason, a couple of things. Number one, the owner is very eh, strong-willed, I think is the word I'll use. And I think he has it in his head that, or he has convinced himself, I think, that, that they have – um, that their problems lie elsewhere, you know, and I know what it looks like. Okay. I know what it looks like, but, but I also think that's a mistake and to some extent, because if you think about the way they have operated, um, I made this point on Twitter yesterday, probably not very effectively. So I'll try again. They have, I think, mistakenly identified singular problems and eliminated those perceived problems on a couple of a couple of occasions now first it was Carson Wentz right it was hey let's get rid of Carson Wentz we'll move on we'll be great I'm oversimplifying it but that's kind of what happened right that was not the case now it became all right you know what Frank Reich's the problem let's get rid of Frank Reich and what has happened to this team absolutely absolutely embarrassing and listen I you can say whatever you want about Frank Reich this is not an, an argument for Frank Reich this is embarrassing Everybody associated with this team right now should never show their face in public again. It's absolutely embarrassing. And so what I'm saying is it was not just that simple, get rid of Frank Reich, and and it's going to fix everything. I'm not saying you said that. I'm not saying the fans said yeah. that. But I do, think, I do think there was some perception of that maybe from ownership. And that has now proven twice to be a mistake to, to operate in that fashion. So it, it certainly – gives you the argument it makes the argument for for more extensive change so um, i guess what i'm saying is um, i guess i'm agreeing with you that they need to look at bigger bigger changes and and obviously the front office is where you start yeah i just kind of sit here right now thinking that even in the disaster it's been since saturday has taken over that jim mercy still has more confidence and trust in him than he does anybody else right now 
And I can't imagine them bringing him back, but that is the one reason or rationale why I would give that thought a positive in terms of that possibility being there in the offseason. Yeah, I, I think I think the other thing is if even if Chris, uh, Chris Ballard comes back, what we still don't know is what is his level of authority. We still don't know that, and, and we won't know that. I don't think until number one we hear from the owner, and two we know who he hires. Those two things have to happen. Um, I think before we have really uh, a, a better sense of of what uh, Chris Ballard's level of authority would even be. We I don't think we know that, and and that's a very key element to this whole thing as well. So uh, it, it's going to be very very interesting. I think the next uh, next several weeks or however long this takes, but I think there's a lot of unanswered questions. Uh, that we can't answer just yet because other dominoes got to fall, but but I'm with you. I mean, this is this is bad. I, I also agree with you. Uh, lastly, that uh, that look, I think Jeff Saturday doesn't have much of an argument to make. I think, but I also can tell you for a fact that uh, the owner still thinks very 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 highly of him. Yeah, I uh, to me. To me, this is simple, and I know you have to have love from the other side on this as well. And who knows, because you had a similar flirtation a year ago with Minnesota. turned out to be nothing, and maybe this is going to be the same case. But if you're Jim Ursay and Jim Harbaugh, as reported by The Athletic earlier today, would have interest, does have interest in going back to the NFL, that is hard target number one right there, without question. That's it. Hey, well, listen, here's the thing, and this is, I'm not breaking news here, but if, if that is the case, if they were to target him and, and he lands here, that is a game changer for Chris Ballard. And I don't mean in a positive way, okay? <laughs> because I, I really believe that, that Jim Harbaugh would expect and you would have to be willing to give him uh, some level of authority um, I don't know what it would look like. I don't know what the power structure would be, but uh, he's not a guy who's necessarily great at taking orders. Let's put it that way. Uh, Frank Reich, for example, on the other hand, was all too happy to be the coach and, and completely cede uh, the management of the team and the roster to the general manager. I mean, that's, that's, those are the terms he was hired under anyway, but I'm just saying – uh, I think it might be it might look quite different with a Jim Harbaugh, and I, I don't know how that would work. That would be very interesting, and that would change things. I think at least to some extent, if not a great extent, with uh, Chris Ballard. You know, I was talking about this, Stephen, a little bit earlier. If somebody had asked me about dual role opportunities, hypothetically for Jim Harbaugh, and I don't think he would want dual role. In no, name, I don't think so either. but you're absolutely right. I mean, as far as input and not having to take orders, there is a, there is no question about that aspect of it. I'll give you an example of elsewhere in the league. Okay, so John Lynch is very clearly uh, very. It's very clear cut. He's the general manager of the San Francisco 49ers. Right. But but let's be clear. Okay, Kyle Shanahan has juice in that organization. Okay, now that may not be something they advertise. It may not be something that they openly talk about, but the people around the league know that that is, that is very well established among people in the NFL. So that's kind of what I'm getting at. It it ain't about the title, right? The title secondary. It really boils down to who's got the juice and who the owner says has the final call. 
And I think that is something where uh, a Jim Harbaugh coming to Indianapolis could be could could shake things up. Very hypothetical, you, right? Obviously, but we're just saying. Can you imagine a possibility, a realistic possibility, where Jim Irsay is sold? right here and right now on Jeff Saturday's return. I, I know that the fans wouldn't buy it, but the fans are certainly going to be different than the owner. Can you imagine a possibility where that's the case? Of, of Jeff coming back? Yeah, as, a, um, as the coach. Yeah, yeah. Um, I ha- let's just put it this way. I can't rule it out, and I'm not doing that just, just based on you know what I think. I'm basing that on – on on the affinity that he has for him, and there's also all right. I'll tell you something else. I was told that just a lot of this has to do with I think his management style of the team. It's very different than Frank Reich. Uh, he is he's definitely more of a disciplinarian and those kinds of things. Uh, and and I think that's something that there there's there's been a lot of discussion about. But I also think that coaching an NFL team is a hell of a lot more than that. It goes a lot further than that, right? And 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 being a disciplinarian and and those kinds of things, that isn't in and of itself going to win you games. And you could also, by the way, get somebody who, you know, theoretically is more experienced and and better at the job, who also will bring you the kind of discipline that you are seeking too, right? I mean, it's not like he's the only guy capable of bringing. Um, a, a level of of discipline or whatever, whatever adjective you want to use. So, so I don't know. I, I think that's something that that has been at the forefront, um, you know, in, in in the mind of the owner and, and so forth. But again, Jeff Saturday is not the only guy who can bring that, in my opinion. Stephen Elder of ESPN.com. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You were there earlier today. Um, how angry was Jeff Saturday about? Obviously, the, the Thibodeau situation with the, the Snow Angels and the celebration when Nick Foles was lying there injured in pain like that, but more so with his own team for not doing anything about it, not stepping up, not defending. Where was most of that anger? Where was it angled today from what you gather? Uh, you know, I, I really thought it was about equal, and, and that's a very interesting Takeaway, you know, an observation because, look, I mean, the optics were terrible, and I and I I think the reason someone asked me this, I think the reason he wasn't more more strong or didn't um, express himself more strongly on the topic yesterday is because I, I think it's one of those things that um, when you go back and you look at it, it looks worse, you know, in hindsight and the optics, and then the moment he's probably just kind of worried about his quarterback and not thinking about Kayvon Thibodeau. Now, that being said, I think when you look at it after the fact, and I, I would say this is true for me, too, looking at it after the fact, I was like, wow, that was so much worse than I realized. Um, because at the time, I was just focused on Nick Foles rolling around like, you know, my first thought is, all right, is this guy okay? It looked terrible, right? So that's the first point. The second point as to uh, your question about the lack of reaction from his teammates um, or from his team, I should say. I, I thought Jeff Saturday was. I, I don't think he. I don't think he minced words there at all. <laughs> you know, and I think, you know, he said, "Look, you know, we protect our own." And he thought he basically was taking it back to to the old days. And he said, "You know, I've been here a long time. You know how I roll." Yeah. And that's his way of saying, 
you know, me and Tar Glenn and company, we would have never stood for that. That's his. I think that's what he's saying right there. He's like, I know what me and, and Tar Glenn would have did, you know, and I think that's his way of saying we would have put somebody, you know, we, we would have took somebody out. <laughs> you know, I think that's very clear what he's saying. Um, that did not happen, um, and and frankly, there might have been, you know, back in the day. You know, a previous generation, there might have been some some cheap shots later on. You know, to to make it known that they were upset. Maybe not even just then in that moment. They might have was been was that Okereke shot? You think that Okereke shot was retaliation in mind, or was that just in the moment of the play? Yeah, I, I didn't think about it at the time. It's a, it's a fair question. I don't know. I I, I don't know. Um, I, I can't say that. I, I don't know that it was. Um, I think, but honestly, I think it needs to come from. It needs to come from that offensive line, if you're asking me. That's what I'd say. Yeah, yeah I don't think you let your linebacker hand, handle that. All right, I yeah. know you got to run here at about 15 after. Next Monday, next Monday is lining up to be a, a day of interest, I'm assuming, correct? Certainly around yeah. here, but around the NFL in general, but around here too. Yeah, you know, it's it's all, obviously that's Black Monday, but it's it's a little different for us, right? They've already fired the coach. I guess for yeah. us, it's 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 the question about okay, well, what now? <laughs> so, so Jeff's whatever I don't you know what his contract looks like or, or anything, but uh, you know, whatever um, his status is after that, he's up in the air. I mean, we know there's going to be a coaching search, so the question then becomes, you know, how serious is the coaching search going to be? Who are they talking to, et cetera? Um, but, yeah, there's no shoe to drop necessarily next Monday, right? Um, Jeff's stint as the interim coach effectively is over. Um, and then the question becomes what happens then? Where do they turn, turn the page and where do they go? Um, but I, I think there's a couple of things. Number one, does Jeff Shadow come out there and talk on Monday and wrap up the season? And, and how what shape does that take? Uh, when do we hear from Chris Ballard? Do we hear from the owner at some point? I don't know. And those are things we don't know. And I tell you what, we got a hell of a lot of questions to ask. That's for sure. All right. Now you got to run here. I appreciate you. And uh, we'll see what happens coming off that regular season finale, which uh, Sam Ellinger will start. And apparently Matt Ryan will be the backup coming up on, <laughs> on Sunday. So TV, this is, baby. Must see TV. It's <laughs> been a hell of a year. No doubt about that. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you. Okay, man. Take care. Happy New Year. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, Jake Query, the morning show, he does join us. I saw where Jeff Saturday called uh, the, uh, the snow angel move by Thibodeau tasteless and trash, but he put, I thought, Jake, a lot of the criticism where it should have been, the lack of any response maybe other than Bobby Okereke whatsoever from teammates on the field when that went down, which to me just basically described we saw both on the field this team and what it is right now and you know, essentially in a situation with a teammate we saw what this team is all about. They're all about wanting to get to the offseason as quickly as possible. You know, I said this morning, John, and I appreciate you having me on, you know, I, I sent a tweet last night and it, by hardly – you know, it wasn't exactly an original thought because it was so incredibly obvious. But, you know, first you got Foles writhing in pain with Thibodeau doing the snow angel right next to him and the Colts O line just standing around. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Like, not, you know, 
I made this point this morning. I was at a Pacer game. I think it was against Atlanta. And there was a play where T.J. McConnell did one of his famous inbound steals and dished it to Tyrese Halliburton, who scored and got fouled and was knocked to the ground. Buddy Heald was in retreat for transition defense and stopped on a dime and turned around and sprinted back to be one of the three or four Pacer players to help Halliburton up off the floor. Meanwhile, on the other side of town with the Colts, they've got a guy playing their most important position who's laying on the ground, writhing in pain, and not a single teammate cared. Literally, didn't look like they cared at all. Not to mention a guy doing snow angels right next to him. Didn't care. But later in the game, Okereke, as you mentioned, makes a hit on Daniel Jones, knocks him out of bounds, and, I mean, a scuffle ensues. You know why? Because the Giants protected their quarterback and their teammate. And I get it. It's been a disappointing year. It's been a frustrating year. But don't sit there and preach to me about how character and camaraderie and professionalism is the first thing that you look for when you're building a roster. When you've got guys that are completely thrown in the towel, that don't care about each other, and I'm sure they do, don't get me wrong, but at least act like, at least show it on the field. And I applaud Jeff Saturday. Now, I don't know what he might have said to them after the game yesterday, but at least today he called them out, and at least today he said, look, you know, disappointing, we're going to have to have a word about that, you know. So I, I was relieved to see that. But it just, to me, perfectly encapsulated what has been a total disaster season for the Colts. And if you measure it against the expectation coming in, it might be the most disappointing season in their time in Indianapolis. Right, especially, too, on you know, the interim basis on Jeff Saturday. Let's not forget that. If people ask me all the time, I'm sure they ask you as well. How in the world, because I, I'm in that category, too, how in the world can you bring him back and hire him in the offseason? Well, this is all going to be the the hiring, the decision of Jim Ursay. So I could absolutely see that. But I'm kind of in a spot right now, and, and people are going to say, well, you've been anti-Ballard for a while. I'm in a spot right now, whereas maybe a week or two ago, I thought differently that I'd be more surprised if Ballard is back right now than if Saturday is. I thought, John, one thing we know about Jim Irsay is that his mind can change or be swayed. And since, if you think about the fact that it was after the Minnesota game when he made the comments about Ballard being back, well, they've had arguably their two most embarrassing and worst performances since, right? I mean, yesterday was inexcusable. I don't mean, you know, Jim Mercer was, was, he's a complex individual, and I think obviously a good person. But Jim Mercer took 14 fans. The season has been so bad. Think about this if you're Jim Mercer. Your football team is so bad and your season is spiraling so poorly that to kind of save face, you generously put together a package where you're going to take 14 fans and put them on your private plane, give them two grand each to go out to New York City for stay in a hotel, which can't be inexpensive on New Year's Eve, go to all the festivities for, New, for all of that for New Year's Eve, 
and the consolation or, or, or the price to be paid for the people that you're doing that is that they've got to go and watch your crap football team. Literally. Like, the people on the plane had to be saying, like, this was awesome, except that we had to go watch that disaster of a football game. And that can't be lost on Jim Ursa. He's a prideful guy. And, John, I know it sounds crazy. He wasn't on that plane, obviously. I'm assuming he was on the team plane and they were on a, a smaller charter plane. But still, like, he has to be embarrassed, right? And Jim Irsay, when he's embarrassed, wants to make good on that. And so to your point about Chris Ballard, yeah, Jim Irsay made comments that Chris Ballard was definitively back next year, and I still think he will be, quite frankly. But every week it gets worse. Every week it gets worse. So he's got to be contemplating it, doesn't he, John? Here's the thing. I look at the head coach and the general manager. I think one of these guys could get a pass, and it's not going to be the guy that's built this thing in the past six years. That's where I stand right now. Yeah, listen, and I know that the owner's point of view will change on a dime. I just don't know how any of this changes because clearly in hiring Jeff – it showed how much trust and confidence he has in him. I think that that's able to withstand this joke of a time we have seen since Jeff took over on an interim basis. Somebody's going to have to fall on it here in this case. And I know that Frank Reich already had, but I'm talking about somebody else. And I don't know where else you can look because all of this, all that we saw yesterday, all that we've talked about with the offense, all that we've talked about with, you know, how things looked, if you want to talk about the optics of foals there on the ground and all that, this is all constructed by Chris Ballard. And as you mentioned, it is different than, than what was recorded prior to the Minnesota game. There has been a lot more embarrassment. And I mean embarrassment for the owner to a point where, yeah, you're right, last week, Jake, he felt it necessary to, to reach out to Colts fans and say, hey, uh, this whole season, this is my phrasing, not his, has sucked. Let's try to do something for the fans. He understands that, and I, just, I think that things have changed since he recorded that interview a couple, three weeks ago. Let me ask you this, John. Yep. Chris Ballard to buy him out is going to cost you probably twenty five million. That's a guess. That's yeah. a guess. To, okay. Uh, it you can't be about owe. money, Jake. It, with, with, with Jim, though, and I, I'm going to let you finish. That can't be about money. I, we, I agree. we know too totally much agree. here. We've we, it's been too much. He cares about football. It doesn't matter the price tag. And I'm not even talking about, you know, the scrolls or the guitars or that. I'm just talking about his feeling on football. It's easy for me to say because it's not my money, but it's easy for me to say because this is the Jim Irsay that has been talked about and described. This decision cannot be about, about money. It can't. No, I, I, I would agree with you, but I'm just saying if, it was, if, if that were an issue, if that were an issue. Now, I just saw, and maybe this came out six hours ago, but just before we went on, about an hour ago, I saw a tweet from writers at The Athletic that cover Michigan saying that people close to Jim Harbaugh say he would accept an NFL job if it was offered to him. Right. So so is there yes. a chance that Jim Mersey says, you know what, I'm going to bite a lot of money here off of a couple of bad hires, but I can make up for it by – 
getting two for one and making Jim Harbaugh the player with director, you know, like a Sean Payton, uh, the, excuse me, the head coach with player personnel control and just bundle it into one. Now, I, um, I don't think he'd do that with a lot of people, but I think he trusts Jim Harbaugh. Your thoughts? I don't know if he would combine them. I think absolutely he would, and I think he will at least take a major cut at Jim Harbaugh to see. I don't think that – I don't know if Jim Harbaugh would want the dual role here. So that may be where – and knowing what I know and believing – that Jim really would like to have and trust Jeff Saturday around regardless of how this team has looked. I mean, that might be one of those situations where they flip it up a little bit and, you know, do something else with Jeff within the organization. I just, I think sitting here right now, the things have such drastically gone downhill on the field since he did that interview uh, with whomever he did that interview with while he was in Minnesota that, that that thought process has, has certainly I mean, changed. So I, I would definitely tell you that I could see Jeff Saturday being around next year more than I can Chris Ballard right now. My, my thing is this. This is where, where I think things might turn against Ballard. Tell me if you agree with this. With Jeff Saturday, it, Jim Irsay, when he brought in Jeff Saturday, believed and preached the fact that he was bringing him in. The number one reason that he said was he believed that Jeff Saturday was a leader of men, that he was a guy that could motivate people, that he understood, you know, foot, you know, he didn't, he didn't say, it wasn't as much about X's and O's with Jeff Saturday. It was about leadership. So Jim, Jim Irsay truly believes Jeff Saturday is a leader. But the last two weeks, I've seen a football team that has no desire to be out there. I've seen guys that look like quitters, that look like they don't care, that look like they're checked out. And if I'm Jim Mercy, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, okay, I know that the coach can lead players, but these players don't want to be led. So I've got to ask myself, who brought them in? And who critiqued them and scouted them to the point of thinking that under all circumstances, you know, Jeff Saturday is the one that always says, you know, it's easy at the valley. It's e- or it's e- excuse me, it's easy at the top of the mountains. It's in the valley where men are, are where teams are built, and they're in valleys right now. And if you're and so Jim Mercy's thinking to himself, I've got a guy that can lead people out of valleys, but I got a bunch of players that look like they don't want to find the way. And if that's the case, then who brought them in here? And that's where I could see Chris Ballard getting into hot water. So Jay Query, the morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. He is with us here on The Fan, of course, live from Columbus at Buffalo Wild Wings on a blue Monday here in Bartholomew County. Looking for you as well. Great food, ice-cold beverages, and more here at the Buffalo Wild Wings off of John Moore Pike. We are in Columbus today at that Buffalo Wild Wings. And it, it does, I think, construction which means failing and lack of results on the field. And then the attitude that you've also, we've talked about so far, I, that's still going to fall on the shoulders more of the general manager than it is Jeff. I, I, like, do I have a, a deeply rooted belief in Jeff Saturday as a good future head coach? No, but I, I do, much like what he has said, understand what he was walking into, and I also have heard, I'm sure you have as well, he had to deal with some stuff, you know, off the field um, that was getting slighted by Frank. And I, I think it's really easy, by the way, Jake, to blame absolutely everything on Frank. 
Because we know now that absolutely everything was not the fault of Frank Reich here. I just, I go with what I believe Jim Irsay believes in right now, and that would certainly be more in Jeff Saturday and the confidence he has in him just by what he is being told more so than the construction of this team and a lot of wasted time and effort and years in this Ballard plan after six seasons. You know, the the irony is this, and the irony is, and I'm I'm a little hesitant, I guess, to, to completely critique the guy with the golden goose, but, I mean, the reality, I think, could very easily be this. We sit here and we go back and forth about is it Saturday, is it Ballard, is it Saturday, is it Ballard, which one? The reality is that it's entirely possible. I'm not saying it's fact, but I think it's plausible that you had a team that was 3-3-1 in a division that most people felt like didn't necessarily have anybody that was firmly going to reach out and take control of it. You were less than 50% of the way through the regular season, and all of a sudden, seismic changes are made at the quarterback position, and then immediately then the offensive coordinator, and then the head coach, all seemingly by the owner. And it's entirely possible that the locker room at that point said, what the hell? Like, this guy thinks we're done. This guy just, like, he just threw our season away. No, that and part's true. Even, There's no doubt. Yeah, that's true. And so, and, and so it's entirely possible that guys that are mailed in, checked out, and, and going through the motions are doing so because they feel like that's what they were basically told sub- subconsciously to do. You're, it's done. You're, you guys are done. And and that fault and that and that those decisions were made by the one person in that building that ain't going anywhere, and that's the owner. That's yeah, and, and 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 he has he has caused issues and complicated this as much as anybody here. But yes, he is not not going anywhere. And when he put Jeff Saturday in there, he put him in there and set him up to fail because this was all likely to happen anyway. And the other aspect of it is you look at the AFC South, a division that the Colts haven't won since 2014 and constantly talking about the importance of winning it. And this season, it is easily at its highest level of winnability. And for this joke of a team not to have any fight whatsoever to push to that and then have the Titans and the Jaguars, both different teams going in different directions right now, battling it for that top spot makes it even more embarrassing than this team has looked in the past month on the field for the owner. You know what should absolutely, and I'll bet you does, absolutely irk Jim Irsay. And I will credit, Derek Schultz told me this today. I did not know this stat. This is 100% credit to Derek Schultz. But he pointed this out to me today. You realize, John, that since the, if the Jacksonville Jaguars win on Saturday over the Tennessee Titans, that will mean that since the Colts' last AFC South title, the other three teams have each won the division twice. Yeah. Twice. Yep. Twice. The Jacksonville freaking Jaguars will have won two AFC titles since the Colts last won the division. And you know what? I'm so sick and tired of hearing – People say, well, you know, but Andrew Luck, you know, that was he, he, he set him back when he retired. I mean, that was like in football years, that was like 15 years ago. Give me a break. I mean, you got to make adjustments, man. I mean, bottom line, like 
I, I don't have the energy right now off the top of my head to come up with it, but the teams that are in the playoffs this year, how many of them are quarterbacked by somebody that was even quarterbacking them the year, the year that happened? You make adjustments, man. You move up and you get guys in the draft. If you think it's your guy or you make a trade, you do something like that, and you, you, you find your guy, period. So Jay Query's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. And then you looked at everything that has gone wrong. Who, um, who do you think it was more of? And I know this all starts with Jim Irsay. I mean, the, the reason why it's Matt Ryan is Jim Irsay's fault because he didn't want Carson Wentz. But Carson Wentz, you know, obviously this season wasn't any good either. Um, but we all know why Matt Ryan was here. But who, who, um, who do you think? Was it more Ballard or was it more – more Frank Reich at the time, who gave the thumbs up on both Matt Ryan and Nick Foles being usable quarterbacks this year. My goodness, you got to reevaluate what yeah. exactly you're looking at when you see that. Who in the world thought these guys were going to be able to play? I guess the same fo- folks that thought the offensive line could play and constructed it that way. These evaluations have not just missed the mark, but they have been miles and miles away from the mark, Jake. Yeah, I remember, I mean, look, Ryan, I think, was Ballard, right? Because that was kind of, I mean, that was like well, the It was because of Ursay, because Jim, you know, Jim Ursay last, in the final week of the season, you know, during the game, against Jacksonville said, there's no way that this guy can come back and win. You guys got to go out and find somebody. And they just kind of, you don't want to say luck now, but at the time you say they kind of lucked into it because of the circumstances in Atlanta. Right. And I think that Ballard had said he watched an hour, an hour and a half. Maybe it was Reich. One of the two. They watched like an hour and a half of tape of Matt Ryan and then knew right at that moment that he was going to be good to go this year. What the hell did they watch? They, they, they actually they checked in with the same person that told Indiana that Hunter Perea and uh, Christian Lander <laughs> were five-star recruits that were going to turn around their program. Right. No, I mean, what they watch, man. Yeah, it. Um, it yeah. I just that 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 just. I, I can't get past that. There are so many other if things, was, Jake, John, that are haywire. I wonder, but I, I start right there. I wonder if. I and somebody pointed this out to me. My friend Scott pointed this out to me. So people point out to me stuff, I guess. But but this is a good point. I, I wondered if Ursay's insistence on sticking with Sam Ellinger in a couple of different periods here wasn't his way of saying to Ballard and Reich both. Look, you guys each had your chance. You each had your quarterback chance, and it didn't work out. So I'm going to prove that both of you were wrong. And let's put out the kid from Texas. Yeah. Jim, Jim wanted Ellinger to be the savior of the season. He, want, he, wanted him, he wanted him to be the savior. He I wanted know. him to be the savior for on the field and then for the story as well. And then you could tell when he hired Jeff Saturday what Jeff Saturday felt about Ellinger because he immediately went back to Matt Ryan. That was that was Jim Irsay hoping that Ellinger was was going to be not just the savior on the field, but an incredible savior type of story off the field. And it just wasn't in the cards. And everybody knew it. Besides them. Yeah. You know So that's it, where we are. It's just a mess, man. I mean it's a, the good thing is it feels like they have some I do think they have a decent defense. I do think that they, you know, they're going to have a running game, whether it's because they overpaid Jonathan Taylor, and I think any big contract for him is overpaying, not for his skill set because he's an elite runner. I just don't think that you need to pay at that position. But they're going to have, you know, Pittman's a nice player. Alec Pierce looks like, he, he you know, he's going to be a player. 
So it doesn't feel like they're that far off, but they're that far off at the most important position in sports, and that's quarterback. And their quarterbacking situation looks just like Monument Circle did when Kevin and I looked out the window this morning. Foggy as hell, and you couldn't see a block in front of your face. Jay Quarry with the – yeah, I'm sorry about that, Jake. I didn't mean to jump in on you. Jake (laughs) Quarry's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Before I let you go, I did want to work in this regarding the Pacers. They wrap up a four-game homestand, which has been fantastic against a good team at Toronto and Pascal Siakam coming up later on tonight. Coverage begins here at 6.30. Tip time is at 7.00. Uh, Speaking of rethinking things, I mentioned that in terms of the owner as far as the general manager and moving forward with the head coach is concerned. But if you're Kevin Pritchett and you're Chad Buchanan right now, you have to absolutely be rethinking things as far as your thought with 33 and an extension or not and trading or trading him. And then also any thought about trading Buddy Heald. I, I brought this up last week. I feel even more solidified in this right now. Sometimes you just embrace if your team is playing ahead of schedule. I think this is one of those times. What say you? Totally agree. Here, here's what I like about this Pacers roster. Of their young players, each of them so far through 37 games, 38 games, has had their moment where they've shown that they can be trusted. Andrew Nemhard on the West Coast when they were in Golden State. Obviously, Tyrese Halliburton, you know, that speaks for itself. Benedict Matherin, the way he started the year. Now Aaron Neesmith is coming into his own and providing them really good defense and a nice offensive touch when necessary. And then I really do think that Buddy Heald might be the key Jenga piece. Like, I talked to somebody and the Pacers upper brass over the weekend that said, you know, typically the shooting guard is the guy that's kind of the wide receiver diva on your roster. And they said, Buddy Heald might be the best teammate amongst any shooting guard we've had here. And I think he's kind of a glue guy. I really do think that the players rally around him. I think that he kind of keeps things loose, but he's a trusted veteran. He hits shots when he needs to. And the Pacers have the luxury, John, if if need be, to be able to sign both of them and keep them around here. And I, and I think Buddy Heald and Miles Turner, they may do that because they have draft picks. They're not going to be great draft picks because of the way they're playing, but they're going to have a couple of first-round picks to add on to this young core. I think they've seen enough out of the – you know, the only one probably that's fallen out of, rota- out of rotation is Isaiah Jackson just because I don't know that he shows enough lower, you know, on-the-block strength defensively, and he's kind of fallen out of rotation. But the other young pieces they have, have all shown that you can stick with them and ride with them for a while. And they've arrived early. And I think they like having Turner and and healed. And I think at this point, they have the luxury, if need be, of exploring, keeping them around. And I think that's what they want to do. Yeah. Somebody's saying, you think they should trade healed. I've said all along that they shouldn't because shooting A is an asset that is number one on the list in any level of basketball, and certainly the NBA right now. But I brought up last week, Jake, that now you see, because of what is the advanced scouting, you see defensive players running out to put a body or to put a man on healed in a defensive kind of scramble mode before he even gets the ball. That's where he is right now. That is a threat even without the ball offensively, much like Miles is even when he is, you know, not in position to make a block or defend on the interior. It's something that other teams are thinking about 
And that is a good thing. That is important. That's on both sides of the basketball for this Pacer team. I also just think he provides he's I mean, this is crazy to say cuz he's what 30 but you know he's kind of the old man on the team and and he, he I think he likes that role I think that guys lean towards him and look towards him to keep things loose and I think he's you know if you think about when the Pacers traded I think it was Danny Granger and they got Evan Turner and everyone's like oh my goodness they got this great player well then we later found out that Danny Granger even though I realized he you know his contract was big and what and he was at the end of it but Danny Granger was beloved. Guys liked him. They liked having him around, and it kind of crumbled him a little bit when they went out and got Andrew Bynum. Andrew Bynum was a guy that, that everybody thought was on the court going to be this great addition, and then we found out what chemistry meant, and it kind of crumbled everything, and it also put Roy Hibbert into like some funk. But I think the Pacers have learned enough about trusting the way their locker room fits with one another. And I've been around a lot of Pacers, not around. I mean, it's not like I'm in the locker room, but I've covered and or watched a lot of Pacer teams. And I don't know, at least from an outside observation, that we have had a season with a tighter unit than this one. And that's why they're above expectation. That's why they've arrived early. And that's why I think they'd like to keep them intact. So Jake Quay with us. Well, maybe look stupid. Yeah, I, um, I just think that oftentimes, especially with the younger generation, you get wrapped up in assets and in future picks. And, you know, you're going to worry about five years down the road. Uh, for me, I'm 53. I, I don't give a crap. I want to see if you can win. I want to see this team get to winning and get to winning right now. Get that winning going. And if it's earlier than expected, then so be it. And I just think I think that the Pacers – and Chad Buchanan and Kevin Pritchard. Normally you come to a crossroads and it's not good. I think you're at a crossroads right now going into 2023, and it's a good thing for this team. So go with it, right? Just kind of yeah. go, go. As we used to say back in the day when we were in college and we were having fun on a Friday or Saturday night, go with the buzz. They need to go with that buzz. Go with the yep. buzz right now. Let me go with it. Yeah. Uh, hey, no argument here, man. No argument. Don't want to kill the uh, buzz, right? Don't. Yeah. Uh, nobody wants to be that buzz. Could go with the buzz. So, hey, what do you guys got going on tomorrow morning before I let you go? Uh, we're going to talk a lot about the Pacers, as a matter of fact. I mean, that's going to be one of the, the key talking points because they play tonight, obviously, with Toronto in town. So, you know, we'd be breaking that down. Jeremiah Johnson is going to join us. And then Rob Blackman will join us. Uh, hopefully to talk not as much about the Purdue football bowl game today, but about the number one boilers. And, uh, you know, they're obviously playing today as well. So big day for Purdue sports as well. Yeah, not a good afternoon for the boilers down 56 to 7 right now. I think it was uh, Deion Burks that they just uh, took off the field. I believe that's who it was, the Boilermaker player. I couldn't see from this angle, but it looked like him. But they took off on a cart, which didn't look good either. So, yeah, altogether, if you think about being Brian Brom, this is probably not one you'd want on the resume right here, is it? I mean, and how about Brian Kelly, like, throwing flea, you know, flea flickers up 42 nothing? I mean, come on. Man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a bowl game, I guess. Par for the course right there. It is. All right, buddy. We'll be listening tomorrow morning. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks, man. We'll see you.